Montreal Montrealer goes to New Zealand and sees stuff on episode 291 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I am Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky and asking, wasn't I supposed to be in New Zealand right now? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Your your wife had a conference or something like that? Yeah, yeah, she had a conference and was doing some work with some New Zealand folks, and we were all excited and starting to plan our trip, and I was starting to plan what I was going to observe when I was down there and what telescope I was going to buy to take specifically for down there and how I was going to mount it. Yeah. And I was just about ready to buy it. And they postponed the conference for like a year or two. <laughs> Silly COVID. Silly COVID. I know. Yeah. that's If that's the worst thing that happens to me, then we'll be doing good. Mm -hmm. um, but Russell wrote to us about his recent trip to New Zealand and we really appreciate this because uh, we haven't been able to get to, I get further south, I guess, but uh, I was just seven degrees uh, further south. But uh, man, getting down to New Zealand, that would be it. That would be a dream or Australia mm -hmm. or South Africa or South America. That would yeah. be uh, fantastic. Anywhere deep into the Southern hemisphere is certainly a bucket list uh, for me, you know, and, and not just vacation, but like with astronomical intent, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there would have to be a block of time where I'm able to spend multiple nights under a dark sky because there's so many things that I would love to see in the Southern hemisphere. And, and the other side of that too, is it probably can't just be one trip because there's things throughout the year that I'd like to see in the Southern hemisphere. And it would be, uh, it would be awesome to go down there. I would love it. Yeah. Well, we were originally talking about going and uh, I think the conference was supposed to be like the last week of November. Um, it was supposed to be like, she had like two or three weeks of work to do there. So it was supposed to be like, maybe even like, I don't know, but it was supposed to be the last seven to 10 days of November and the first like 10 or 12 days of December. So I was like, well, we'll just go maybe two or three weeks before and stay two or three weeks after. And then I'd get like, seven weeks in or something like that. And, and I think the way that I had worked it out was I'd get like two or three full moon periods or something like that. And uh, just see if I could work remotely for some of that and take my vacation for some of that. And then mm -hmm. no. So I ended up taking all my vacation in like September this year and <laughs> the rest of it over Christmas. So anyway, it's all good. I'm not jealous. I just wish I could have gone with Russell and observed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been fun. All right, Shane. So let's see. Um, just gonna pop this down here a little bit, but do you want to maybe maybe I'll read this bit? One of us should read this bit and one of us should read the PDF. Which one do you want to read? Uh it doesn't really matter. Go go ahead. You you can pick. Okay, I'll read the uh, the intro if you want to read. And I put a link through to the PDF there, so maybe you can get that loaded. Um, so Russell's email starts uh, like this. So he sent us uh, a short email, and then he attached his his travel log as a uh, as a PDF. I can see Shane's going to open it now. So I'll just read his email. Uh, Russell writes, Hi, Chris and Shane. I've been a loyal listener of your wonderful show since pretty much the beginning. Thanks so much for that, Russell. We do really appreciate it. I think it's fair to say that after more than 200 episodes, you have become the dependable Bob and Doug McKenzie of the astronomy world, minus the cases of beer. 
I guess Russell doesn't really know us that well. You guys, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You guys have turned me from astrophotography only because I'm stuck living in the middle of a big city and can't see anything out there to appreciating hassle-free visual astronomy with a small telescope, a la Shane and binoculars that I use as much as I can. I especially enjoyed your recent show that highlighted an observation report from a fellow RASC Montreal Center member and astrophotographer extraordinaire, Mark. I recently spent almost three weeks in New Zealand on a once-in-a-lifetime trip with my family. I had four nights of clear skies, and I thought it would make an interesting first observation report that I have attached. Keep on gabbing in clear skies from Montreal, Russell, and he is the outreach coordinator of the RASC Montreal Center. That is pretty cool. But yeah, yeah, we, I had some back and forth. I have to say this before you read that. I had some back and forth with Russell on the comment about Bob Adam McKenzie because I too was thinking this at one point that we should have called the show something like um, the great, great white northern sky observing or something like that. And we could have had like a really crappy northern sky chart, star chart behind us. And if you actually look up Bob Adam McKenzie, for those that aren't familiar, they're like, iconic SCTV characters from like, I guess like the eighties or something like that. And th there's like a beer Stein that Rick Moranis had in, in front of him for that. And I have an almost identical beer Stein to that. <laughs> and they had a copy of the um, Sears seven by 35 or something like that. Like those really super wide field binoculars. They actually had those on their set and that case. And I have those binoculars and that case. So I have parts of that set ready, ready to go for whenever you want to take this to the next level, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good to know. I guess. <laughs> All right. We'll get back to astronomy. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you read Russell's report and <laughs> I'll go cough in my closet. Okay. So, uh, evening one, December 9th, uh, Christchurch, New Zealand, which is, uh, 43, 43 degrees South. Um, I couldn't wait for my first evening in New Zealand. Uh, I looked up from the sidewalk outside of my hotel and realized that I didn't recognize anything in the sky. Uh, a really strange feeling as if I had traveled to another planet, I could only see a few stars beyond the annoyingly bright streetlights. Uh, turning northeast, I spotted something familiar, Orion's belt. But uh, Betelgeuse uh, was below the belt, and the constellation was upside down. To its right was Sirius, but the dog was on his back. Higher up, I knew this was the good stuff. Uh, the sky I can never see from home. Uh, a quick check on Sky Safari on my phone identified uh, Canopus and near Zenith uh, Arch Arch Archerner something like that. Uh, the elusive star at the end of Iridanus. Uh, I looked for the promised LMC and SMC, but saw nothing, uh, too much light pollution. I did a quick sketch, uh, to remember the excitement, uh, evening number two. Uh, so this is now at Lake Tecapo in New Zealand. Tecapo, uh, I think. Tecapo. Okay. That's how I would say it. Uh, this town at the bottom of a spectacular lake and surrounded by mountains is an official international dark sky IDA. What's that? Dark sky site. Um, yeah. It's oh it's dark sky of, association. Yeah. It's yeah, one yeah, of the yeah. IDA sites. Yeah. So it's a little bit different. We, we have different designations here in, in Canada, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. all about the same thing. Yeah. Uh, astrotourism is big here and the skies are stunning even in town. 
outside my Airbnb, I could easily see the Milky Way with one notable area of increased brightness. It was the uh, Eta Carina Nebula, and I could see easily, uh, or I could easily see two clouds near Zenith. The bigger one was the LMC, and the smaller one, SMC, with a bright speck next door, uh, 47 uh, Tucane. Holy cow, to give you an idea of the clarity of the sky, I aimed my cell phone up and took a 10-second image showing the Eta Carina nebula just above the center of the image. Uh, evenings uh, three and four were uh, at uh, Waihai Beach. Uh, this is uh, 37 degrees south. At the end of our adventure, I was spoiled with two clear, warm evenings. I observed in shorts, sandals, and a light sweater. We stayed at a trailer park surrounded by palm trees. No insects, no pesky raccoons, no skunks, no snowdrifts. <laughs> uh, I can only dream. Hmm. Um, my best December observing conditions ever. Uh, there was so much to see. I spent an hour before the sunset looking at Sky Safari to learn the basics so I can navigate the sky. Uh, SMC and LMC uh, were obvious naked eye and to my cell phone's little camera. I spent three hours scanning with my binoculars and trying to capture fainter details with my DSLR. Uh, my binoculars revealed so much detail in these spectacular objects that I really wished I had a tracking telescope with me. And then uh, there's a bunch of images included here of what he was able to capture with his DSLR. Um, just quickly scrolling. Really? That's about it. Uh, he said, it's going to be tough to top this experience now that I am, uh, back home waiting for clear skies, uh, that drop the temperatures to minus 20 degrees Celsius. <laughs> keep on grabbing or sorry, keep on gabbing and clear skies from Montreal, Russell. Thanks so much for that. Yeah. I think he was using, uh, I think earlier on you mentioned, and I think I forgot to read it, that he brought along his 10 by 42 uh, image stabilized binoculars, I'm guessing. And then the uh, Canon DSLR with the fifth 50 millimeter lens and a, and a little plastic tripod to take the uh, wide field photos from, because uh, that was all he could fit in amongst his uh, hiking equipment. Um, but those, those are some really great shots, eh? Love mm, those. Yeah. Yeah. He has some very nice images and, um, you know, just hearing his excitement. Well, first of all, hearing, you know, the strangeness of the sky, just not being used to uh, a Southern hemisphere sky. Yeah. Um, you know, that, you know, I, I can kind of relate even just going South to like the Caribbean or Hawaii. Um, the sky's very different even there at, you know, 20 ish degrees North. So I, I can only imagine how foreign the sky would seem, uh, you know, going to the Southern hemisphere. Yeah. Um, so that was super cool. But then just his excitement, seeing some of these super big and bright objects, uh, not just through the binoculars, but through his images as well. Um, just sounds like a fantastic trip. Yeah. I like that sketch he did. looks like a combination of, of computer graphics and then maybe put like printing it off and maybe putting some ink to it. It's pretty yeah. cool. And then yeah, I like that one of the, uh, Etacrina. looks like there was some some external light in the shot, but, uh, like seeing at a Karina like that, I always think kind of looks like this huge, like angel or something like that. Like, just like, not really like an angel, but just like has this huge, like wingspan to it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just such a huge thing in the sky that just that whole region from down from at Karina and through like crux and that sort of region is just spectacular. And then he gave us that shot of the trailer. So by trailer, I was trying to figure this out. I think it's where you go to park, like your camping RV trail. I know that's big to rent, like these, uh, 
camper vans and that. That's kind of what it looks like he was parked in. Looks like a pretty mm-hmm. nice spot with all those palm trees. Yeah, yeah, it looks beautiful. And then the large and small Magellanic clouds. He did one of the small Magellanic cloud and uh, 47 Tucana. Man, that's pretty pretty wild, eh? Beautiful shot. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, it just fuels my desire to get to the Southern Hemisphere and do some of this type of observing. Yeah. Yeah. And he was able to see uh, Omega Centauri. Yeah, I've seen that as well from, from Hawaii. Yeah, that's just uh, that's just spectacular. Just spectacular. Very cool. Love to hear it. So maybe what we'll do is this. this is, see, this this is stuff I'd had rolling around in my head for a long time and uh, put last week. Maybe it will be last week, but it's the last show. In the last show, we talked uh, about Julian's question about uh, what scope to take with him to, to South Africa and uh, based on uh, where he was uh, leaning, I, I think the recommendation came down in one of the 72 millimeter EDs. But Shane, if you were planning your sort of ultimate vacation slash observing session, like you're going to get down to Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, or South America, um, what gear would be on your radar to either buy, or maybe you're just going to take your equipment. Cause I actually, one of my recommendations would be a scope that you own anyway, but maybe mm-hmm. I'll just uh, let you take it. Yeah, I've, I've debated this multiple times. Um, for sure. I would be taking my 12 by 36, uh, Canon IS binoculars, um, and then if I was to bring a telescope, I would probably, you know, I, I, I've kind of set up this Borg 71 FL as that travel telescope. Cause it's super lightweight. Um, as we've talked about with Borgs, you can basically just take the lens cell out if you want and throw the tube and everything else in your check baggage. Um, so I'd likely bring that if I was going to bring a telescope, but one thing I would look into is, is there a, like a astro tourism place that maybe rents time on a telescope? And then I would try to do that. Um, you know, our, our observing friend, uh, Mark Bratton has gone to the Atacama desert multiple times, uh, to observe. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's at least one like business there that provides accommodations, but also telescopes. And, uh, there's also a member of the uh, Regina astronomical club, um, Alden, who's been down there at least once, maybe just once, I can't remember, but he rented time on two different telescopes, I think over a couple of nights, like a large daub. And I think a Cassegrain, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so anyway, you know, being able to rent uh, a telescope, you know, is a great way to go, especially like if you can, you know, get time on like, a. Uh, a large aperture Dobsonian, like something that would be almost impossible to travel with. Yeah. But, um, you know, really opens up the sky for you. So I think that's what I would do. What, uh, what are you thinking? Well, one thing I might try, like if I was able to, to actually really like coordinate it well is, is to try to coordinate it around like a star party that was mm. happening, like in the area. And then, cause I really feel like, you know, you could go, maybe they're going to do like, like an introductory session, maybe there's star parties um, that would have like some talks that they, that would cater to like the astronomical tourist, you know, who's, who's going to arrive there from the Northern hemisphere. And, you know, you might be able to get a really good, like introduction to the Southern sky by, by like somebody doing um, a sky tour, like how we go and do sky tours and we do star parties. Um, like that would be hugely beneficial to somebody like, like us, like just, just sort of landing there, you know, blank, blank slate on the Southern sky. 
So I might try to do something like that. Like I know when I was looking at going to New Zealand, I sort of scoured around to see if there were any star parties and, and there just wasn't any star parties in the two months I was sort of looking at, uh, at going, but uh, unfortunately that's the way it was. But if you can kind of rejig it, cause of course, like what you're going to do is you're going to plan your, your vacation. And then it was like, you know, the month before or the month after was like the star party you, you could have gone to. And you know that you're going to go there, it's going to be dark. And then people are going to have all kinds of different telescopes and you can just wander around the field. And I'm sure it's very similar to like what it is here and actually view through a, a bunch of telescopes. And the other thing is, Shane, you're going to recognize this is that our camping gear that, that we have selected would actually be pretty good for traveling with because it's all pretty lightweight and compact and slimmed down already. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure it is. So anyway, I'm not sure. Would, would you consider like doing that and going to a star party if you were, if you were going to be an astronomical tourist like this, or is that something that, uh, that you would you would choose not to do? Yeah, absolutely, I would do that. Um, in one of my trips to Hawaii, uh, I contacted the local astronomy club there, um, introduced myself electronically, and said, uh, you know, if you have a meeting while I'm there, I'd love to attend. And they were very open to that. Yeah. Um, and then I also asked if there was any access to telescopes, and uh, one of the members of that club responded and said, yeah, uh, you could use mine. <laughs> and I forget it, it was a large daub, like I want to say 20 or 22 inch daub, something like that. And, um, he even said like, if I'm not at home, here's my address. Here's where it is. <laughs> yeah. It's set up. Just go use it. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. P people are pretty good in general. Like it's kind of, it's good because like the astronomical community community is very small. So, um, you know, you're reaching out to people and, you know, if you, if you did something untoward, it's pretty easy to track that person down. Right. So mm -hmm. the, the other thing is, is that incidents are extremely rare. I think I maybe recall one incident in like the past several decades where, you know, and who knows what happened, but uh, yeah, typically people are pretty uh, gracious, gracious and generous with their equipment. And certainly when I went to Haleakala, people offered me stuff, but I really just, I really had a very specific plan and, and brought equipment for my specific plan. And that's what I would do if I was traveling um, down South. And what I was going to do for this trip to um, New Zealand is I was going to pick up a Vixen R200SS which is, do you know what that scope is, Shane? Are you familiar with that instrument? I've seen it, uh, not super familiar with it, never looked through it, never really read, um, you know, like any uh, reviews or anything like that. So what this is, it's an eight inch F4. It's, it's sort of like a, like an, like an astrograph or, or a, an eight inch F4 reflector astrograph in, in a way like it's set up a little bit more for astrophotography than, than for visual, but it has some interesting visual quirks. Um, and it's super inexpensive. So you can pick these things up used for around, I'm going to say like four or $500 American and uh, sometimes cheaper. And I, that was my plan was to get a good used one, not like the best one. I don't care what the cosmetics looked like as long as the mirrors were in good shape. And I already have bought like one of the parts for it. I already had started buying parts to do this because you can get an F 7.5 um, extender. So it kind of makes it pretty versatile. And, and by all accounts, that extender works beautifully with it and uh, works great for, uh, for planetary views as well. And because Mars is going to be at opposition, I was like, well, this, this is going to be an ideal instrument. I can use it as a low power wide field with my 22 millimeter Nagler. And then I could put in this extender 
and then take like a five millimeter and, uh, you know, that, that would give me like 300 power or something like that if the skies were decent. Um, so I thought, man, like I can really cover my bases, uh, with that telescope and uh, just put it on a Altaz head. And what I would do, and like when we were talking to Julian, I'd mentioned this as well, is he was talking about a telescope because he wanted to take it in his carry-on. And when I've traveled with my TAC FS60, what I do with that scope, which is designed for travel, is I unscrew the um, the lens uh, cell and I put that in a camera bag and I take that in my carry-on and then I just put the tube and the other parts in uh, in my carry-on uh, or sorry, in my in my stored luggage or my stowed luggage. And that's uh, worked out pretty well because you can buy those separate parts. And in fact, I have a spare Takahashi focuser anyway. And so all I would need is uh, another tube ring, which I kind of think of a replace my tube ring anyway. And so, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be out of pocket too much, maybe a few hundred bucks and I could get my TAC FS60 back up and running if, if my luggage was completely lost or damaged or, or whatever. But in this case, I think what I would do, and I think it was Mark who talked to me about this as well, is, uh, is just ship the scope beforehand. Yep. So, so get it, get it all tweaked up, set up just the way I want it and then just package it back up and then just whoosh, ship it down there, you know, just arrange for however it to land at the place I'm going to be staying at. Usually people don't mind that. Um, I've heard lots of good things about people doing that in the past. And then, well, one, it's a relatively inexpensive scope. So if it did get lost in transit, you know, it'd be at a few hundred bucks or so, but you know, it's not irreplaceable. So you could replace it. And then the other thing is chances are it's going to be fine. And then it's just there waiting for you. So you don't have to worry about dealing with it and the plane and all that kind of stuff. And then you get down there and observe. And then, I mean, if, if you were able to get a really good deal on one, maybe you could just sell it there. Or if you go to that star party, you could just be like, Hey, you know, here's a raffle prize. Someone just needs to pick it up at such and such a place on such and such a date. Cause I'm out of here at this date. And you could just do a giveaway or something like, you know, if you were, mm-hmm. if you were so willing, um, maybe work out some sort of deal with somebody, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, that could be a cool way to do it, but I'd also take, uh, my 50 millimeter F5 board that, uh, that you made up for me, put that on as like a wide field finder scope and ultimate like wide field, uh, little instruments. So then I'd have like a medium size scope, a really tiny refractor telescope that can do both, you know, reasonable deep skies and eight inch telescope. Like we always recommend that. And I think like for me, going to see a new sky. Like, I think I'd want that eight inch telescope, like personally, just, just for me. And then, uh, like I said, I'd probably try to arrange to go to a star party, look through some bigger telescopes. Like I'd really be trying to get a lot of mileage, take my 12 and a half millimeter doctor, my 32 Massiema, 22 Nagler and a few Barlows and yeah, be off to the races. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a few different ways to approach it for sure. And, um, I don't think there's a wrong way to do it. I mean, the key is to just have a plan, you know, so that you can get some observing in and then hope for good, you know, clear skies and, and, uh, you know, some, some amazing new sites if it, you know, for us, which would be, you know, our first time down there. Yeah. I think, I think the way that I would want to do it just based on my previous travels and that sort of thing is that I would probably, if I could swing it is to do uh two new moon sessions. So to arrive sort of at, at or near last quarter and then go and, and do whatever, like whether it's this, like, hopefully like I could land there, go to that star party on that first new moon and then, you know, observe there at that star party, 
maybe get another couple nights in, like really kind of get my myself orientated to the night sky in the Southern hemisphere, get, you know, hopefully a few nights in observing and then have kind of like two weeks to travel around with my, like my wife, go to like touristy stuff, go do stuff that she wants to do. And then to have like that next new moon period, um, you know, sort of three weeks later and then come back. So I guess it would be like, uh, kind of like, I don't know, like two, four, six, like maybe six or seven weeks, something like that. I feel like that's what I would want to do because kind of the big part for, at least for us would be those plane tickets and getting down there. And then like, if, if we're able to mix in like camping and amongst it mm-hmm. and like a star party, kind of mitigate your costs. And for me, I don't really eat out much. So I'm just going to go and buy my food somewhere and then kind of make most of my own meals and that anyway. So gonna, I, I would, I would mitigate a lot of costs. We've done that a lot in the past, my wife and I, and have done lots of traveling. We know how to travel on the cheap. So I, I think we could probably stretch it, stretch it out pretty good. Yeah. That's awesome. So I was thinking kind of a bit of a segue there from, from what you said is having, having a plan. Now, how would, how would you plan things? Like, like what would you plan to, uh, to do and observe when you went down? Yeah, that's another good question. Um, there's certainly some, some key things that, you know, I would try to see now. Part of it again is timing. Um, uh, you know, when certain objects are visible, uh, at what times are they visible? Well, I, you know, do I expect to be up observing at three in the morning to catch something rising in the East? Who knows? Um, but I would be looking for some of the showpiece objects, um, whether it's, uh, like the LMC and SMC that Russell referred to or at or, you know, there's a long list of those objects that I would for sure want to see. Um, and then, you know, there's some observing lists that I'm working on that have some, uh, objects in the South that I would like to see. So those would be on the list. What, uh, like, is that like the Caldwell list or, or what are you looking at there? Um, some of them, a lot objects I would like to see uh, okay. in the South. And then, um, some of the stuff that, um, Oh, uh, Stephen James O'Meara has in hidden treasures, um, you know, are, are kind of low on the horizon, even in Hawaii. So it'd be neat to see yeah. some of those objects from, you know, further South when they're higher up. Um, but I, you know, to be fair, I haven't done a ton of research on it just cause I don't, uh, I don't have anything planned. So yeah. in advance of the trip, I would be doing a lot of research about things I would want to see and, and then, you know, making sure I, uh, tried to see them at least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got, I got a little bit further because like I said, we were, we were sort of inside that year. And I think, I think planning and figuring out what the gear and figuring out what you want to look at, I think that's like really important because just to try to go down and then to try to observe is, uh, might, might end up in disappointment or you might not really utilize the skies or your time as, as well as you, you'd had hoped. So one thing I, I didn't get around to, I was looking for is like a Southern skies planisphere, some sort of chart or something like that, that was more oriented towards the Southern sky. But do you ever run across anything like that? Um, I've never really looked. So, um, I have a, a planisphere that is for, oh gosh, like 35 degrees North or 25 degrees North, something like that. But, um, I've never looked for anything in the South. Yeah. I got to look for that. Cause I remember when Felipe, um, down in, down in Brazil frequently sends me photographs of the night sky. And it's like, it's so confusing when you see like Orion yeah. upside down and then where Taurus is and that it's a real, 
it's a real uh, noodle bender. But uh, yeah, I, I think that, you know, looking up stuff or maybe trying to just configure uh, my planetarium software on my computer before I go kind of try to get adjusted. But mm-hmm. I'm going to say this, um, there are some really neat things that that I think people should try to read if you are going down into the Southern Hemisphere and you want to do some observing. Um, one, there's a great article in the June 2001 edition of Sky and Telescope magazine by uh, Glenn Cousins. Excuse me. C-O-Z-E-N-S. And he wrote an article called James Dunlop, Messier of the Southern Skies. Mm-hmm. That is an awesome, awesome article. And it lists a lot of things that James Dunlop discovered and, um, Building on that, I'm going to say like the RSC Observer's Handbook has an article by Alan Whitman. Alan Whitman is a contributing editor for Sky and Telescope Magazine as well. And uh, he wrote uh, this, this standing article that's in the Observer's Handbook each year called Southern Hemisphere Splendors. And he had list 74 of his favorite object. And then there's this classic book. This book I think is worth anybody picking up. I'm not sure if you've picked up a copy of Hartung's astronomical object. Yeah, uh, when you mentioned you mentioned that book, Chris, on a podcast, oh gee, last year sometime. Uh, I think when you just caught wind that it was published and released. Um, so around the time you ordered, I ordered one as well, and it's on my bookshelf. I've I've perused it a little bit, but I I really need to spend some time on that, likely in advance of a trip to you know somewhere further south. Yeah, Harting's Astronomical Objects of uh, for Southern Telescopes. It's buy the one from Melbourne University Press and save yourself hundreds of dollars. I put the link there because you can find it like used places, but it's like three or four hundred bucks. But you can buy it direct from the publisher. Second mm-hmm. edition is the one you want, and it's uh, not too bad. And then the uh, Night Sky Observer's Guide series, they have a Southern Sky edition. I'm not sure if you've uh, ever t- taken a look at that one, Shane. No, I haven't. Uh, again, you know, like for me, my, my memory is, is good if I'm accessing the data and using it, but if I'm not, it usually gets purged at some point <laughs> and then yeah. I have to reread things. So, <laughs> uh, um, so, you know, my prep for any kind of Southern hemisphere stuff would like, it would start in advance of a trip. So I really haven't done too much, you know, investigation prior. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, uh, I had neither until, it looked like it was going to happen for me. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm really happy to hear that it happened for Russell. And we, we do really appreciate that travelogue, but, uh, that's kind of what we had for this uh, show, which is really good. Cause my voice isn't going to hold out much longer, but do you have anything else to add to it, Shane? No, just thanks for that email. I, I really enjoy hearing about, you know, astronomical experiences in unique places or, or places that I've never been. And really even to, to go beyond that, like I, I love reading about all observing that is taking place, but uh, you know, it helps me to live vicariously through people when they do these uh, really interesting destinations and uh, get some awesome observing in. Well, thanks Shane. Thanks everybody for listening. And if you enjoy this podcast, like Dave did recently. Thanks, Dave. We appreciate your review. Um, please send us a five-star review and rating and say something positive about the show. And that will help others like you find actual astronomy in 2023. And we're always happy to get your observing reports and questions at our email inbox, which is actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Thank you everyone for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, 
would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <music>